Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Um, I am on the road yet again, and uh, so I'm joined by Jamie Lasanti. We'll cut right to the guest. Uh, Jamie, you and I are not together yet again, but I thought that this would be the week that we do our postseason awards. We were going to do them anyway at some point during this brief offseason period, and I figure now is as good a time as any. We still have the... Men's women's season is done. We still have the ATP Next Gen event as well as the WTF, the regrettably named World Tour Finals for the men. But as I see it, uh, fait accompli. We can start handing out some hardware already. Um, we are in a little bit of flux given uh, some, some last-minute plans, but we are uh, t- together via phone. So, uh, Jamie, how are you? Welcome. Good. How are you? Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I think this is a good time. You know, we're not too far towards the end of the season where everyone's ready to take a break. So we've still got everyone's attention and we can talk some tennis. See, we're uh, we are cognizant of the recency effect. We're very uh, keen on, on behavioral biases. But no, I, I think you're right. I think that uh, for all intents, the season is not technically over, but we can start handing out some awards. So we had it. Uh, we were going to do this anyway. So why not do it here this, this first week of November? Um, I'm out of the country next week, so uh, we'll have to scramble then. But let, let's get right. Uh, let's get right to it. And I ask you, Jamie, for the year 2018, let's start uh, with the men's. Who is your MVP? I think we might be in agreement on this one because I don't think you can choose anyone besides Novak Djokovic for this award for this honor for 2018 we rewind to last year and we're talking about Novak Djokovic is he ever going to come back will he ever regain the form he had and fast forward now and it's remarkable that he is not only winning majors again but now he's back at the top uh it's it's incredible Novak Djokovic hands down MVP 
Uh, I agree on all counts. If you had said even on July 1st that Novak Djokovic is going to be your season MVP, people would say, boy, uh, the plot will have shifted very quickly, and that's precisely what happened. I mean, I I think that underlying these rankings, there there is, I mean, uh, these awards, there is a ranking system, and uh, it, it stands to reason that the person that's compiled the most ranking points had the best season. Of course, we know, though, that that is not always the case. We weight major titles um, superior to ranking points. But now uh, Novak Djokovic is actually back to number one. So uh, not only did he win two majors, uh, Federer Nadal, obviously, the other two major winners. And not only did he win more majors than anyone, but uh, he also has a superior points haul. Again, I, I can't recall a season quite like this where – as you say, a year ago, and I would, I would even say 120 days ago. I was, well, was going to say, even we in January. What's going on with this guy? Even in Crazy, January, right? he, he, I think he started the season and he had probably a 500 record or maybe even worse than that. I mean, he lost a handful of matches at the beginning of the season where we were still saying, you know, this was still coming over from last year and we were still kind of worried about what was going to happen. The turnaround is impressive, so I think he gets some – some comeback points there, but definitely the MVP. I will, uh, I will go one farther. I will still remember in Indian Wells watching Djokovic lose to Taro Daniel, and the murmurs were that uh, Andre Agassi had encouraged him not to play, both physically and emotionally. He wasn't in uh, position to even enter the tournament. Djokovic did anyway and lost to a player who was outside the top 100 on hard courts, no less. And you sort of left there thinking, boy, we've, we've seen this movie before. And this is, uh, this is, this is not the plot that anybody wanted to, uh, to see unfold. Um, took some, some bad losses in the spring. Remember, and entered uh, clay events, wasn't successful there, had that run in, in Paris, but then uh, lost to Cecinato. This was a rough go for the first half of the year. And then since then it's been, vintage Novak Djokovic, and now he heads to Australia going for his third straight major. He is our uh, MVP. He's ranked number one. What about the women, where I think uh, there's probably a more robust discussion to be had? Who's your uh, WTA MVP? For sure. I think, you know, you want to say Naomi Osaka. The most recent tournament we had was the U.S. Open. You know, she she really did do well, um, and I think her closest competitor in this award category is Simona Halep. So you can argue that Naomi Osaka deserves to be in the conversation with Halep and that, you know, she also has the same number of majors won in in 2018, uh, you know, which she does. But I think that Halep has been on the cusp of this for so long and she is world number one. I think that's kind of the differentiating factor here. Halep finally got over that hump, won her first Grand Slam in, in 2018. And I think even though it seems like it was so long ago that she did that, I think it's still, when you look back at everything, I think it's still her year. Not to put down anything that Osaka has done, but I think Halep gets the one on this one. I would say two two players reached multiple major finals on the women's side in 2018. And one of them, we forget, uh, it's been overshadowed by other events. One of them was Serena Williams. Um but Halep was the other one. Remember, she had a, a terrific Australian Open, and just physically, she looked like a UFC fighter after that fight, after that match. Uh, see, Freudian slip. Um, <laughs> came within a few games of beating Wozniacki. Couldn't come through, but won six matches to get to the final and played valiantly. And then at the very next major at the French Open, she runs the table. She is ahead on points by more than 
a thousand over number two Angie Kerber. Um, I'm with you. We got to have some disagreement here, but uh, you won't get it on MVP. I, I give it to Simona Holop. I mean, I, I feel like the other categories for tennis always get a little tricky because there is a sort of void for vagueness. We would say if this were legislation, uh, what does what does most improved mean? Is it a player who's just Clip their ranking? Is it a young player that has improved their status in the sport, someone like Tsitsipas? Or is it someone, and this is my winner, spoiler alert, um, a Basilishvili type player who has been a journeyman for years and has really taken, uh, taken a step? The most improved candidates um, for ATP, this is per their website, Chechenato, Alex Dimonor, Kyle Edmund, who won his first title, and Tsitsipas. Uh, again, those are sort of players of different phases in their career. I went off ballot. Um, a bit of a strange award, but I do think there is, especially in an individual sport, there really ought to be more recognition to players who have upgraded themselves and had this, this mid-career elevation. I'm going with uh, Basilishvili. Who, who's your pick, Jamie? Yeah, I agree with you. It's a, it's a little bit of a tough one. Um, I think Kyle Edmonds sticks out to me uh, this year. I just feel like he he kind of always played second role to Andy Murray. And this year he seemed like he really came into his own. Um, He had some really big wins. So I think out of that category, you know, if you're naming the nominees as presented by the ATP, I think I'd go with him. But I agree that it's a, it's a, very strange. uh, You know, even, even like a rookie of the year award is, is a weird thing in tennis. Yeah. And also where, where are we drawing these lines of uh, demarcation? Kyle Edmund, uh, Born in South Africa, resides in the Bahamas. But you're right, the top British player, uh, top 15 player. And he did – I thought he had one of these uh, – it wasn't quite Kornikova-esque, but it was getting to be uh, an awful long streak of him not winning a title. And he finally uh, broke through. Nice year for uh, for Kyle Edmund. Um, what about most improved on the women's side? Again, we, we're faced with the uh, the same vagueness, but interpreting improved however you like. Who's your Who's your pick there? I think I have to go, this is a weird one. I don't know if this, again, falls into this category, but I think she deserves some recognition somewhere in this award category is uh, Angelique Kerber. I think her Ooh. season got a little bit overlooked. You know, you you go back, 2016, amazing. Wow, you know, that's her breakout year. 2017, you're kind of like, uh-oh, what's, what's going on, right? I think we forget in 2018 that she had a little bit of a, of a revival. I mean, she picked herself back up from her 2017 season. She won Wimbledon, you know, beating Serena. And I think she kind of deserves some recognition. And, and her, between Osaka and Halep, she's kind of fallen through the cracks. But I, I want to give a little bit of a shout-out to her because I think that, you know, after having her big season and then having a not-so-great season, she really – picked up the pieces and i think we're going to be seeing more consistency from her oh well well played that is an interesting uh interpretation of improved but certainly a radical improvement for uh for angie kerber after 2017 to to 2018 and you're right i mean you know she she finished the year she won wimbledon she beat serena williams in a wimbledon final which is uh sort of an extra feat and cemented her hall of fame bona fides and finishes the year at number two uh i'm buying that what about but you? I will, uh, I'll, I'll give you someone who actually beat Kerber quite recently. Uh, how, how do we feel about Kiki Burtons? Yeah. Who had been a, a, a solid, athletic, you know, a nice player, a veteran. Every now and then she'd reach the second week of a major. But, uh, you know, one of those players who might get um, 
perhaps a bit lost in the uh, in the draw sheet. And you know, in the, in the middle of her career, she's I don't have it in front of me. I think she's 26 years old. Um, turns in a a very very nice year, finishes in the top 10, and um, I think really established herself as a player on on more than just clay she's uh, again a, ni- a nice athlete offense defense and this was a player who sort of hover- hovering in a, in a certain range and really elevated her status and 26 years old is not uh it ain't what it used to be and i think she really sort of rewrote her career i'll take uh i'll take kiki burton's um newcomer is always uh a strange category as well it's not like a team sport where they're very clear-cut Rookies, this is my first season. Um, but if we, if we sort of take a broad definition of, of newcomer, we're not looking for the, the 16-year-olds who enter their first pro event, but maybe newcomer in the sense that they're playing tour-level events week in, week out. Who, uh, who, who do you like, men and women, Jamie? That is a tough one. As I said, there's, like, as you said, there is no clear, <clears throat> clear-cut rookie season. Um, but I think a few names come to mind. Uh, I think Danielle Collins deserves a mention here. Um, you know, she really did kind of just break out onto the scene. And again, because the tennis season is so long, it seems like it was forever ago that we're talking about. But uh, she did have a a nice story that, you know, she she did play college tennis and did really well in, in Miami. Uh, I think she beat Venus Williams and made it to the semifinals before losing there. And I think for her, um, you know, for American tennis, I think that's a really good story. And I think it qualifies as a, as a newcomer nomination. What about you? Interesting. You're, you're weighting these heavily uh, on the senior side with, uh, with Kerber as well. Um, I, I guess I would go with Sabalenka who, Finishes close to the top ten. Um, number eleven, she twenty years old, played a terrific match against one of my favorite matches of the year against uh, Naomi Osaka in the U.S. Open. I think, barring injury, will will be a, a top five, if not a top ten, if not top five player next year. Um, I guess Sabalenka. I mean, again, I don't know if that's technically a, a newcomer. We kind of sort of knew who she was, and she. You know, she played doubles with Azarenka at some point, um, but I guess I will more. I'll go with uh, Sabalenka as my newcomer of the year. I, I think she actually won the. Uh, I think she formally won that uh, as well as Singapore. So I'm I'm giving you an award winner who actually has a trophy now on her shelf for that same category. Um, I was trying to go a little. I was trying to go off, you know, so we could have some, no, some disagreement good, good, here. Good, uh, good call. <laughs> but I agree. And, uh, I think for her, she is young. And so that, you know, I think qualifies her that much more. And she did have a very um, breakout season for a young player. I think we'll be seeing more of her for sure. <clears throat> uh, rookie of the year slash newcomer year on the men's side. This one's yeah. tough. Did you find this one a little tough? I I will, looking at the, the nomination list um, for these next geners, I think Michael Moe is, is one that we should talk about. Um, he, He's sort of been on the radar for a really long time, uh, a few years now. And, um, you know, you hope that he starts to bring his ranking up. I think he's he's just outside the top 100 right now. Uh, but again, a 20-year-old, um, someone who has the the body type of, of a player uh, on the ATP tour that can be successful. So I, I say we can we can give a name check to Michael Moe. Interesting. Um, 
Born in Saudi Arabia, I'll have you know. Uh, let me look Indeed. here. Yeah, he's, he finished 103, uh, won six tour-level matches, got into the top 100 briefly. Um, interesting call. Uh, I, I, I'll go a little more conventional and take Tsitsipas, um, who also is 20 years old and is uh, getting awfully close to finishing the year in the, in the top 10. P- part of this is uh, probably gets a nod because we, we like the personality as well as the game. I don't know if he's technically a newcomer. We all yeah. knew who he was a year ago. Whenever we talked about the one-handed, you know, you know, a year ago it was sort of he was uh, he he was the great exemplar of the proof that the one-handed backhand was not dying because there was right. a teenager on the ascent who had a beautiful one-handed backhand. He's improved his uh, he's improved his backhand. He's also improved his stature. He's known for more than his backhand. Um, I'm I'm still kind of I'm interested in Michael Moe. That's an interesting call by you. Uh, I was going by, by the Alexander list. Alexander Sorry, go ahead. I was going by the list. Also, as you said, I think it's hard to define the newcomer. Uh, Tsitsipas is certainly deserves that, but yeah, newcomer maybe not so. But he did win a title this year. It was very impressive, and he's up to number fifteen in the rankings, which is also very impressive. Um, as long as you are uh, in this neighborhood, we should point out Taylor Fritz and uh, and and with with Taylor Fritz and Francis, there are now a likelihood of two Americans, twenty and under, finishing in the top fifty for the first time in uh, in a decade. Some nice yeah. nice young talent, but it, but again, I mean, we we've known Taylor Fritz, we've known Sitsipas. I mean, this these are not people that are technically rookies. Michael Mo, interesting uh, interesting call, Jamie. Um, let's do uh, you know what category does not um get much play in tennis but we will uh we will give it a nod do you, do you have a coach of the year hmm. i wouldn't say i do uh i don't think i can nominate patrick for no perhaps i think he, uh, <laughs> he, he he would win he would win on volume but i think there may be uh perhaps a disqualifying event uh i don't do you do you have one in mind well i mean i think uh, Andre Agassi attempted to coach Novak Djokovic, now with Grigor Dimitrov, it seems. But Andre Agassi, not not a great success um, in, in the one. Djokovic coaching box. Djokovic goes back to uh, – gets the band back together. Um, we will name-check Marion Vida uh, in particular. And the results kind of sort of speak for themselves. I mean, I, I think Marion Vida, whatever – Buttons he pushed, whatever coalesced. Some of this may be an accident of timing, but you know what? It still happened on his watch. And I, I think Marion Vida, who I never thought quite got enough due, and to his credit, he was never one of these look-at-me coaches. He never, you, know, you wouldn't see him prancing around with uh, a satin jacket with the name of his academy on the back. He was not a, uh, not a self-publicizer, not a self-promoter, and I think tends to get overlooked. But uh, he will not get overlooked on this podcast, Jamie. Uh, Marion Vida, my 2018 uh, coach of the year. I think Naomi Osaka's coach, coach Sasha, also kind of deserves a little bit of recognition here. Um, totally. Uh, I think he's he's a good one. I'll go with him. Sasha Bain. It's uh, it's superfluous J Day with uh, Marion Vida and Sasha <laughs> Bain. But uh, no, I I think you're absolutely right. Um, and he, I, he's really an interesting case study to me as someone who, who came up through the ranks. He's probably best known for years and years as Serena Williams, hitting partner right. and the butt of her social media jokes. 
and then he settled into a bit more of a position of gravitas, left the Williams camp and has worked with uh, several players, including including Karen Lewisniaki. Azarenka, exactly. Um, not as a hitting partner, but as a as a real coach. Sort of, right. he had served his apprenticeship, and then he got promoted. And I think uh, I remember Ed. I'll, I'll tell you a few stories. One of them at, at Indian Wells. I remember Naomi Osaka played an American, and I, I think I'm going to refrain from. Uh, I think I'm going to decline to name names because it's it shouldn't befall her. But uh, some members of her camp, I, I think, may have been a little fuzzy on tennis etiquette, and they were actually heckling Naomi Osaka. And it really bothered her to, to the point of tears. In mid-match, I remember Sasha Baina essentially not coaching about X's and O's or tactics, but essentially saying, listen, I'll handle this. You can't let the crowd bother you. Don't let this heckler get in your head. Um, that's not the kind of thing you prepare for as a coach, and I thought he handled it uh, really solicitously and, and professionally. Um, Osaka, as you'll recall, not only won that match, but then won the tournament, won Indian Wells, which at the time was her biggest title. Um, and I, I thought Sasha Bain was terrific at the at the U.S. Open as well. And I think that part of that Serena match that didn't I – mean, a lot of aspects of that whole final Saturday uh, went overlooked for obvious reasons. But I thought the fact that Sasha Bain had – not just the tactical knowledge of Serena, but also knew some of the inflection points and pressure points and knew her personality and knew that maybe Serena Williams, almost 37, is going to come out uh, a little shaky and a little nervous. I I think Sasha Bain's preparation um, had a lot to do with Naomi Osaka's poise, and you might even say with uh, the final result of of that match. I think Sasha Bain sort of knowing Serena and her tendencies so well um, was an, an underrated storyline from from that Saturday of the U.S. Open final. So yes, you and I are uh, you and I are in agreement. Uh, WTA Coach of the Year, Sasha Bain. Do you have a uh, particular match? There, there's always a recency effect with this, but um, you have a you have a match of the year. I mean, it, it feels it feels like it was 1979. I mean, so much has happened since then. But I will say the holiday, and just because I was there uh, in person, I think probably added to it as well. But the Hollop Lauren Davis match. Yes. Uh, 15, 15 13 in the third set at the Australian Open was just a, a terrific battle. It was a, a lot of contrast, even though the two players uh, actually have fairly similar games. It was offense, it was defense. Neither player has a, a huge weapon they could rely on. And I, I thought Lauren Davis, um, you know, and unfortunately, that match seems to have taken something out of her. I don't even think. I can look this up as I speak. I don't even believe she is. Uh, I'm curious what Lauren Davis's ranking is now because she was, uh, you know, flirting with the top 30 at the time. And I think, unfortunately, we see this sometimes. Here come our our boxing comparisons, but sometimes these these matches of attrition, these long matches, really can uh, take players out of. Lauren Davis is now ranked number one. No. 196. No, no, that that's right? her doubles. That can't be right. That's, that's her doubles. WTA uh, website. Come on. <laughs> 252. So Laura Davis is ranked 252. Um, hard to believe that uh, nine months ago, ten months ago, she played what I think was the match of the year and came within a few points of taking down the number one player in the world at a major. Uh, so Lauren Davis has had a rough go of it since then, but um, credit her. She played a terrific match against Simona Holop in. Australia. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm running sort of, I'm, I'm doing a mental quick catalog as I think about this. You know, I, I thought the Australian Open's women's final was a terrific match. I mean, overall, I, I think 
there were a lot of really nice matches, quality matches. I mentioned Sabalenka, Osaka at the U.S. Open. Right. I think you can point to a few, a few matches at Wimbledon. I thought the French Open final, Sloane Stevens and Simona Halep was, was great stuff. Um, I, I really think overall this was a really strong year for women's tennis. And unfortunately, the women's final at the U.S. Open um, is sort of what the casual fan will, will remember most. But uh, I, I think the women's game really had some fine moments. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this before. You can go back and there's always those third, fourth round matches uh, on the women's side of the tournament that end up just being electrifying that you you really uh, look back and you're like, wow, the, the competition on the women's side of the game is remarkable. And I think that um, is great for the game. I think the men's side still has... Uh, you know, the the big four at the top, which is kind of maybe not allowing for that as much. But um, I, I I enjoy those uh, those matches where the Lauren Davis match or, or those kind of things where um, people who may not always pay attention all of a sudden are, are tuning in. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that I mean, the fact that you say that I think is revealing. There, there wasn't really I mean, I guess you could for, for sheer length, obviously, Kevin Anderson and Isner, but I, I don't think that including the players themselves. I don't think anyone necessarily sees that as a classic. Um, Nadal, Dominic team at, at the U.S. Open was terrific. Of course, it ended uh, in, the, in the infomercial hours, so I don't know how many people, at least in the U.S., saw the end of that. But no, I, I think back to your other point, I, I kind of got the feeling that this was the year that things turned a little in terms of perception, and there was a sense of, boy, Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer are terrific. We're lucky to watch all three of them at once. These are three great titans of the sport. But I do feel like the gallery got a little impatient in the sort of where's the competition. And we love these guys, but really at ages 37, in the case of Nadal, 32, but probably far older in in terms of body and mileage years, and then in Djokovic with this comeback that we've talked about, Shouldn't someone, whether it's Zverev, who continues to struggle in best-of-five matches, or whether it's Dominic Thiem, um, Grigor Dimitrov, who really had a, a dismal year after a very nice end to 2017, I, I got the feeling that 2018, the year, this was the year of the big three are amazing, don't get us wrong, but boy, where is that subclass that are pushing these guys? Where is Marin Cilic? Where's Zverev? Where's Dimitrov? Where's Nishikori? I, I feel like there was a certain restlessness of uh, great, great for the big three, but the competition really, you wish it were a bit stronger. And I think the women's side had sort of, I, I keep calling it a sneaky good year that uh, Serena's comeback, her two major finals, and obviously the, the regrettable U.S. Open final are the storylines to the, to the casual fan. But I think people that follow tennis recognize that this was really a strong year with some really nice performances. Naomi Osaka was a, a big revelation, but Wozniacki and Halep winning their first major helps as well. Sloane Stevens coming back and having on, on balance quite a strong year. Kerber, as you mentioned, I think women's tennis is in a, in a deceptively strong position uh, going forward, certainly looking to, uh, to 2019. Let's, let's sort of end there. What uh, if, if I said, Quick, quick themes you're looking forward to in, in this new season 2019. What, uh, what comes to mind? 
Well, this is a weird place to start for that, but I'll throw out some names and then and then get to this. But uh, Serena, of course, can Djokovic continue? Nadal in in his injury and and where he's at right now, how does that affect him in 2019? Federer kind of feels a little bit of a on, on a little bit of a drought uh, right now. So um, can we see him kind of get back to the top, compete with Djokovic now that he's back at that level? I think that's going to be a really exciting rivalry in 2019. Um, one person I did want to mention uh, is John Isner. We didn't really talk about mm. him. You briefly, you briefly did, but I think he deserves some sort of mention here, only because at his age uh, and has at his point in his career, he really had a great year, um, and I I think that deserves some recognition. Uh, I'm going to double check his ranking before I say it right now, but yeah, he is. He's he's up to number ten, uh, which kind of has been floating around at that point for a while, but I think he really made some strides at majors this year, which has always kind of been the thing where he, he falls short. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do uh, as a new father in 2019. Uh, no, I think, I think that's a good point, Jamie. I think the other thing is J- John Isner had a really, really dismal start to the year. And in keeping with one of our favorite themes, one of the beauties of tennis is it does not take much to rewrite scripts. And he goes to Miami again. The, the first 90 days of the year were really rough for John Isner. I thought he won one match uh, before Miami. Cause that, I don't have it in front of me. But, uh, yeah, just a, a, a rough, rough year to start. And then all of a sudden he, he wins Miami kind of sort of out of nowhere. And he's off and running and wins a lot of matches, gets to the Wimbledon semifinals, um, got through a lot of matches riding his serve but finishes now in in the top 10. He'll go to London, so he's assured of finishing the year in the top 10. Um, and at 32 ain't, ain't what it used to be either. And um, nice year for John Isner. Glad you, uh, you name-checked that. Um, I think as, as far as 2019, I, I think you hit on, on the big ones. To me, I, I think where Naomi Osaka goes from here and basically how she is going to deal with a set of pressures that we've said this before are, are – Unlike, I, I wouldn't, I'd be careful using the word unprecedented, but Naomi Osaka is about to enter a world that few players enter. And hovering over all of this is the 2020 Olympics. Hovering all over this is Japan as a commercial market. Um, everywhere she goes. I mean, the stories I've, I've heard already about cameras following her all, all over this, this Asian swing. Um, as I understand, she, she's opening a school in Haiti where, uh, the, the homeland of her father. She's opening a school in Haiti, and the, the Japanese media is all over it. It's going to be interesting to see how she deals with this new stature. And this also, and I say this completely to her credit, this is not someone who necessarily relishes fame. This is not someone who necessarily has aspired to uh, to red carpet treatment. So I, I think Naomi Osaka will be a story to watch. I think you're right. I mean, Federer, Serena, Djokovic, Nadal, whatever happens with them is going to be interesting. I think you can throw Sloane Stevens in there as well. Um, and we shall. Um, did Sloane Stevens, uh, no, you're right. Sloane Stevens is sort of tennis's great uh, wild card. Um, right. Did not win a major in 2018, but in a way had just, I mean, I, I think she played really well. If you well told at the her this would be year, she'd sign up for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I think I'm was surprised at uh, how well she played at the WTA finals in, in Singapore, uh, just because, like you said, she is a wild card. Is she going to show up? Um, 
Uh, I think that bodes well for her for, for 2019. So we'll see what happens there. Um, all right. Very good. A lot of storylines. Glad we got these awards done. Um, I've got to bounce. We've got to figure out a podcast strategy for next week since I'll be uh, overseas. But, Jamie, it is always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Love talking tennis with you. Maybe we'll do this uh, in person in our offices one of these days. Um, that sounds but, good. Uh, I'm, I'm lonely here in the, in the studio. I was going to say, do people miss me? Yeah, pe- you know, people walk by and it's a little strange. Looks like I'm talking to myself here. So, All right, we're going to fix that. All right, that, uh, that does it for this week. Thanks to you, Jamie Lasanti, for taking some time. I uh, hope people enjoy this. If people were so interested, where might they subscribe to this podcast, Jamie? They can go on Apple Podcasts or wherever they get their podcasts, and they can subscribe and leave a review for us. Let us know. Very good. Let us know about who you want to see on this podcast in 2019. Yeah, keep the guest suggestions coming. Uh, again, so, sometimes uh, some, sometimes they're counterintuitive, and they're more often than not terrific. So uh, anyway, that does it for this week. Thank you to Jamie. We'll. Figure out a plan for next week. Uh, Have a good week, everyone. Take care.